Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, my fellow Liberty lovers, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from. Today is Tuesday, December 5th, 2023, and this is episode 21 of the Living with Freedom show. I'm Amber S., bringing to you a vision of what living a life of freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in every aspect of life. This show is brought to you by Living with Freedom Ministries, an unincorporated private church and ministry where I help people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose, specifically through the creation of their own private ministry. Today is um, a really in-depth show, and I hope you enjoy it. That's my intention, um, especially for those who are as nerdy about our liberties as I am. And if you like this show as well as any of our shows or any of the other Living with Freedom ministry activities, I please, you know, I words words are not working. Um, I gratefully ask you to consider a donation. Um, you can do that through PayPal using the ministries Living with Freedom at protonmail.com email address, and your support is really helps keep this ministry's mission alive. Today, we're going to do a little bit of, I'm going to say back and forth. <laughs> we're going to start with the word of the word of the day. We're going to go over to something to kind of add on to the word of the day about common law. And then we're going to tie in the holiday of the day. And if we have time, we might even come back to another word of the day. I have a hard time picking just one, okay? (laughs) If you've been a listener for any amount of time, you know that I struggle picking just one word of the day from Black Thought Dictionary. And then um, I have an exciting announcement at the end of the show, so stay tuned to the end. All right, today's main word of the day I guess, words of the day, we're starting with the word constitutional. And I wanted to kind of cover that. It's very brief, literally like one sentence pretty much, because I wanted to sort of set the framework for what we're building on. So constitutional, according to the 1990 edition of Black Law Dictionary, constitutional means consistent with the Constitution, authorized by the Constitution, not conflicting with any provision of the Constitution or fundamental law of the state, dependent upon a Constitution, or secured or regulated by a Constitution as constitutional monarchy or constitutional rights, as examples. So that's that's what we're talking about when we say something is constitutional. So then what is constitutional law? Because that's a big thing in in what I do through my ministry is dealing with constitutional law. And 
Black's Law Dictionary had three main parts or three main definitions. I'm choosing to just focus on the third one to save your ears as well. I'm trying to think of you guys. And the third part of the definition for constitutional law says this. A constitutional law is one which is consonant to and agrees with the Constitution. One which is not in violation of any provision of the Constitution of the particular state. And so as we start to dig into this whole concept of what's lawful, what's constitutional, what's legal, all of these different things. One of the main differences, and this is not Black's Law Dictionary, this is coming from my own mouth, my own interpretation, we'll say. The main difference between lawful and legal is this. Legal means there's something out there, a statute, a regulation, a policy, something that says it's okay or not okay to do this. And I apologize for the dog sneezing in the background. Um, so if you're acting in alignment with a statute, a regulation, a policy, that's legal, but statutes, policies, regulations, etc., may not always be lawful. And when I say lawful, I'm talking about constitutionally lawful. Is it in alignment with and in accordance with the Constitution? And as a Christian, I also add my Bible as my constitution, my rules to live by. Um, it is my covenant between God, my creator, and me. So that is what I am agreeing to by being a believer. But here we're talking about legal versus lawful. So lawful, the definition says warranted or authorized by the law. Well, the supremacy clause says that, and I'm going to pull it up really quick so I can read it verbatim, um, supremacy clause um, quote. And the reason I'm doing this with you guys is I want you to see that there is a difference between the actual supremacy clause in its entirety versus what the supremacy clause actually says. Which is really sad, right? That there's a difference between what it actually says versus what it actually means. The Supremacy Clause does not make federal laws the rule or the law of the land. The Supremacy Clause makes the Constitution the law of the land, whether it's state constitution or the federal constitution. It's the Constitution that's the law of the land, not um, not federal law. And we would know this if we knew what um, what the hierarchy of law really even is. Unfortunately, our schools since gosh, almost 200 years ago, literally almost 200 years ago. Our schools have been improperly teaching the hierarchy of law. 
And so what the supremacy clause actually says, and that's how hard it is to find because I'm still trying to pull up the actual supremacy clause. There's so much interpretation about it, but not actually a, um, okay, here it is. So Article 4, Clause 2, this Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made, under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. What this says, you guys, is that our Constitution is the is the official rule book. It is not that all of the federal laws are the, the, the rule book. It is not saying that the federal government is our ruler. It's actually saying the opposite. And it's also saying that anything in the Constitution or laws of any state contrary notwithstanding. So, thing that is Re, um, oh, what's the word? Um, repugnant or in opposition to any law, any statute, policy that is repugnant to the Constitution is null and void. That's Marbury versus Madison. So this is repeating the same idea <coughs> that anything that's contradictory to the Constitution is not the law of the land and should not be followed. So we're going to get to that concept a little bit here. So I'm going to close that, pull back up my notes over here. Okay. I'm going to leave it the lawful definition as what I just read. I'm not going to go into the full definition, at least not right now. We might revisit later, but it's not the main point for today. So we just covered constitutional, we covered constitutional law, and we covered very briefly what lawful means and its similar but not the same term legal. Why does this matter? Why not? Why am I bringing this up? Well, I've learned over the last several years that, and it's more hearsay, I kept hearing people who were more knowledgeable than me, and I, I trusted that they were more knowledgeable than me because of what they were saying and using discernment, they kept saying that statutes, regulations, policies, they're not laws. Now, if this comes as a shock to you, don't worry. I will help fill in the blanks. Because while I believed it to be true, I really had a hard time finding any evidence to prove it. And part of the reason is that I didn't have the right words to search to find the answer. And when you don't know what you don't know, you don't know how to do any better. So over the last several weeks, I've been consulting with someone for some support with regard to law. And he had mentioned this concept of of statutes, regulations being a mirror of the law, but not the law itself. And in preparing for the show, that kept coming up in my mind. And I really had to think about and use the sermon, 
why does this this phrase he used keep coming up? So I started searching mirror of law, mirror image of law, and then I finally found it. Mirror image rule. And please do not take my word for any of this. I am piecing these puzzle pieces together because I realized things didn't make sense. And when something doesn't make sense, that should be our alarm, our red flag, that, that we're missing pieces. Information is missing for us to make full sense of something. And the more I'm learning, the more I realize the way the system is supposed to work, not the way it does work, but the way law and rights and liberties is supposed to work is actually very simple. And if we go based on our <laughs> fading common sense and logic and, and critical thinking skills, liberty and rights are actually pretty intuitive. But I digress because we've been taught not to listen to those intuitions and that gut feeling and the spirit within us guiding us on what's right or wrong. So this mirror image rule, I found that it's based on common law or it's part of common law. It's also referred to as the unequivocal, and I should say quote, quote, unequivocal and absolute acceptance, acceptance requirement, end quote. This is a long, fancy way of saying if you want to have a contract, your offer and the other party's acceptance must be the same. They must match. And if it if the acceptance doesn't match the offer, there's no contract. All right, so my my spidey senses started tingling again. I'm like, all right, well, if this can be applied to the Constitution and the statutes, then this makes sense that if a statute is unconstitutional, it is not officially part of the constitutional law contract, and thus we should not be responsible for it. So I did even a little more digging. And then I started to dig into um, this concept of common law, when this is applicable, because all of the examples for mirror image rule had to do with commerce. Well, I found a two and a half minute video. I don't even know the source. The source, in my opinion, does not really matter because they mentioned something that started to put some pieces together in my head. Before I go over there, though, I want to kind of paint this picture. If something is a mirror image of something, it is not the thing itself, but rather just the image of something. It's reflection, the real thing, but it is not the real thing itself. Just like your own reflection in the mirror. We all know, okay, we all should know, and I say that because the world is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs these days. We all should know that the image we see of ourselves in the mirror is not us, cannot be us, will never be us. It is a reversed image of us, but it has no substance and falls flat. 
Yes, pun very much intended. It falls flat when challenged because it's not the real deal. And contract law says the same thing applies, that unless a law is the real deal, the actual law, which in our case comes down to ecclesiastical law, our God-given natural rights, and constitutional law. So that unless it's the real deal, it's simply a mirror image and really a false image. Um, let's see, that grammatically did not make sense. So if we're functioning under the assumption, oh, no, 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 not if. All right, I see what I did. <laughs> Don't you love when you have typos and grammar errors that make things not function the way they're supposed to? So if we're functioning, or no, I should say, so we are functioning under the assumption that statutes, regulations, policies, etc., are even actual mere images of the law, and they're not. So I kind of want us to focus on this idea that statutes, regulations, policies, etc., everything from these alphabet soup organizations, three- and four-letter organizations, if they're not using the actual law, and what is the actual law? The actual law is the Constitution, the law of the land. If they're not using the actual Constitution, what they're trying to do is create, don't let them use a really false mirror to reflect back what's not true. <laughs> a vision, a visualization that just came to me is don't let the mirror that you're using to look at these statutes and regulations be um, the magic mirror from Snow White, where it tells you what you want it to, you know, to say or to show you. Because that's what the government wants. They're trying to use the magic mirror and show us, oh, these are what the laws say, and this is what, how we have to live. It's not true. It's a magic mirror. It's false, and it tells lies. We must get back to the actual law itself, which is the Constitution and biblical law, to know what is actually truth and what is applicable for us to be responsible for. And abide by. So I mentioned the fact that, like these statutes, like most of us assume that statutes, regulations, etc., are a mere image of the law. So even if it's not the actual law, they reflect what the law is, right? And eh, wrong. <laughs> most of these laws are unconstitutional. They don't even abide by the Constitution, which they're lawfully bound to. And if you listen to anything that Chrisanne Hall says, you realize that we are not obligated to um, comply with any laws. No, strings being up. Comply with any laws that are unconstitutional. There's a thing as peaceful noncompliance. Because our duty, our obligation is to uphold and defend the Constitution, even if you have never taken that oath. 
as we the people, that should be our oath. As as believers, we should be upholding and defending our Bibles and our sacred texts. And as we the people, citizens of our state, we should be upholding and defending our Constitution as the as the um, oh, what's the word? Not pathway, um, guide, as the guide to which we live by. I mean, that's what the Supremacy Clause even says. All right, cool down. So back to this video that I found. This video pieced it all together to me, connecting this common law mirror image rule with what I was thinking to be true about statutes and regulations not being the law itself. And what it said is this. It said that with the UCC, which means the Uniform Commercial Code, the UCC actually has some exceptions to the mirror image rule. And these exceptions also have exceptions to them, which makes it even more complex. But what it says is that in in business, in commerce, merchants can um, give an offer and the, the other party accepting the offer can add additional stipulations to the contract. One of those exceptions to the exception is that those additions must not make material changes to the contract itself. So one of the examples was that Merchant A is trying to contract with Merchant B to sell 100 items for $100, and it'll be delivered on X day via Y vehicle. And Merchant B adds the standard stipulation. Now, that's not saying it was included because it was not. So he's including this general stipulation that most people include, which is that the the buyer gets two days with the items to make a return. Um, if something's faulty, if something is not in the condition it was promised in, etc., They have two days to return it. And following the UCC, one might suggest that that addition probably doesn't change the main contract itself and so would be accepted with the original offer. That seems to make sense, right? But why would we need that if we already have laws in place to protect contracts and make sure that agreements are mutually made? Why do we need additional things to confuse and conflate things and and make these weird exceptions that don't really need to be exceptions? What could be done instead is if Merchant B wants to include that stipulation, they just go back and counter offer. It's not that difficult. We have other means in place that we don't need to have these protections. It's not black and white. It's not all or nothing. I mean, it could be. Merchant A could decide, no, this is a you know a, um, final sale, no returns kind of thing, and they're well within their right to. But they could also be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'll I'll agree to 
two days to make a return. You know, you make sure that the product is good. We'll, you know, do all that kind of stuff. As I'm reading this, as I'm learning about this, you guys, I'm realizing the UCC itself is also not the law. It's designed to be a reflection of the law. And if you actually look at it, it's an unconstitutional reflection of the law at that. The Uniform Commercial Code, the UCC, is only dealing with commercial code, commerce. And unless you're involved with incorporated public domain commerce, contracting with the government, which is a whole other topic by itself, unless you're doing those things, you should not be concerning yourself with the UCC as it doesn't apply to you as a private man or woman. Not only is even the UCC itself unlawful and unconstitutional, but its exception to the mirror image rule is also improper and thus not being an, a mirror image of the law itself. The UCC in its entirety is full of contradictions. If we always go back to our Constitution as our guide and our frame of reference to which we compare everything else, things become very simple and very easy. All right. I kind of went out of order, so I'm going to skip ahead now. So as we start to unpack these things, you know, and get back to the bare necessities like Blue and Mowgli sing in the Jungle Book, we start to get back to simplicity. If you've never heard the radio show before, I want to share a, I don't know if it's really a statistic. I think it is. That's what I'm going to call it. I learned, this is someone else's, not my own creation. I learned somewhere that the current set of just federal regulations, which we now know are not actual laws, but I digress, the current collection of federal regulations as they sit at this moment would take you studying for more than full-time status for more than three years as a student to completely get through what's currently there. And by the time you finished, so much would have been changed and added and rearranged and otherwise modified that you would never be able to catch up. We cannot regulate our way to freedom and we cannot regulate our way back to liberty. And this is why I wonder if I've really been feeling called to, and not really too called away from lobbying, because I feel like lobbying is really just asking someone to try to regulate our way back to freedom. And that's really not it. Now, do I believe we should be contacting our representatives to maybe get rid of some of these things or not go along with some of these things? Yeah, I do think that's right. But lobbying to make more laws and more rules and more regulations, it just doesn't make sense. And one example that I've been learning about in, um, light, uh, let's see, legal guidelines for unlicensed practitioners, 
which if again if you've been listening before you've heard me say I have some complaints about the book but I'm not throwing the whole book out you know I'm not throwing the baby out with bathwater I've decided to read and complete the book and the more I get into it the more I do appreciate the author like they did their best to give a palatable introduction into truth the hard part I have is that making it palatable, palatable also meant that some of the assumptions or understandings that were communicated in the, in the beginning were less than accurate. They were overly broad generalizations that thus became inaccurate. Anyways, in this book, he does talk about... Um, how chiropractors put in so much effort through the years to get recognized as medical professionals for the purposes of insurance, etc. What they failed to recognize, and they as in chiropractors as a whole, what chiropractors failed to recognize is that by getting recognized by the government and needing to be licensed, also meant that the government now had jurisdiction over them and how they were allowed to practice, what they were allowed to do, also meant that bad players, bad characters could infiltrate and um, blackmail or otherwise lobby lawmakers to act against people like chiropractors. So by them wanting to get regulated they basically put a nail in their own coffin. And it's really sad because none of these things, like we want safe practices, yes, but we have, and this book is actually doing a really good job to explain, we already have laws in place for things like misrepresenting um, a product or, you know, a service, um, negligence, all these other things. We already have laws in place. We didn't need licensing too. So all of these are just examples of things that are a reflection of the law, but not the actual law itself. And if it's a reflection of the law, it's not real, at least not in terms of our lives as private men and women and do not need to be complied with. I think me as a millennial, I might, and I'm speculating, I might have an easier time than the generations that came before me at this idea of peaceful noncompliance. Because we were in this middle range where we remember days before computers we also remember days, you know, where computers were an integral part of our lives. We, as millennials, have been this kind of in-betweener generation where we had to really question and let go of a lot of old ways and accept new. Some of them were good. Some of them were not good. Like the idea that you could have whatever color hair you want and have whatever job you want, and it should not impact your higher ability, 
I feel like was a good thing. You should be able to express yourself in in your clothes, in your appearance, and not have it impact what people think of you as a person. We have gotten beyond that as an example. And so things like anti-discrimination laws, pretty good idea. But it came with rebellion. It came out of an effort to create, you know, to get out of this hyper-regulation. At least in my eyes, that's what it came from. We didn't want to be hyper-regulated. And so I feel like the millennials are starting to make a resurgence in our relevance. I know a lot of people have made fun of millennials. I have too. And I also recognize that as a moderately older millennial, I see the old, I see the new, and I can kind of see the bridge between the two. And I'm not trying to rhyme. (laughs) I see the way we've been doing things, and I also see back to the way things were supposed to be and, and could be today if we knew what we should know. And that's why it's really so important that we unpack all of this and get back to the bare necessities because it's been made so confusing that people don't want to learn it because it feels too hard to know. But it's not. All right. We're a little bit late on our commercial break, so I'm going to pause here for a commercial break, and we will be back in a moment. Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. Do you love the outdoors? Do you want to help make a difference for the planet? then get involved in Collectively Rewilding. Collectively Rewilding is a movement to restore degraded ecosystems and reinvigorate sustainable traditions almost lost by working together. It's based on the idea that we can achieve more by working together than we can by working alone. Sharing the skill sets we have built over the years with each other and providing the community support we all need when there is so much work to be done in finding a sustainable future. To join our community here in Collectively Rewilding, go to www.collectivelyrewilding.com. Let's bring nature back into our lives in a community built for the wild in all of us. I'm Diana from Delivering the Truth and Exposing the Lies. Join Russ and myself every Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. until 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time while we deliver the truth about what's really going on in the world. You don't want to miss our shows. See you then. We talk a lot about the kingdom here and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. 
we encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same. And we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints. But they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And join us on Facebook. Facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the word. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty Lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific Time, for the Living with Freedom Show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. Hey everyone, come check out the Proof Negative Radio Show here on FreedomizerRadio.com Monday through Thursday, 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the Pacific Coast as we fight the New World Order and rock the health freedom world together. When it comes to taking back your rights, don't leave the biggest part of it in the hands of someone who really isn't even going to fight for you and your rights. How to Win in Court Without a Lawyer does just that. Dr. Graves teaches you what he's learned over his many years as a lawyer so you can protect and defend your rights yourself. Visit bit.ly, that's L-Y, backslash L-W-F hyphen how to win. That's bit.ly backslash L-W-F hyphen how to win. All right, so now we're going to transition to the holiday of the day. Yeah, we're unpacking a lot, you guys. <laughs> so the holiday of the day is National Repeal Day. And I'll be honest, I had to look on the website nationaltoday.com to even know what National Repeal Day was. Like, I understood the words. But what it was representing, I had to look. And this is what nationaltoday.com has to say. Um, The next paragraph is all quotation. Back in 1933, following the signature of President Franklin D. Roosevelt, the United States ended its 13-year experiment with the increasingly unpopular nationwide prohibition of alcohol meaning, yay, it's National Repeal Day on December 5th. If you enjoy alcohol, then this is a great opportunity to celebrate your legal freedom to consume it. While popular opinion tends to suggest that prohibition failed, it did succeed in cutting overall alcohol consumption in half during the 1920s. 
although that also meant tax revenues from alcohol were zeroed out, giving a dangerous flapper cell edge to the consumption of alcohol in illegal speakeasies. Oh, that was a mistype. Giving a dangerous flapper cell edge to the consumption of alcohol in, in illegal speakeasies also may have contributed to a whole cult around alcohol consumption, further glamorizing it. And if there's one thing we really like when we're consuming alcohol, it's an element of glamour. So if you own any flapper-style costumes, this is the time to pull it out. All right, end quote. Oh my word, y'all. There are so many things wrong with this. I mean, okay, I'm going to start from a moral perspective. I grew up in a, quote, functional alcoholism family. Um, I shouldn't say family. I grew up around functional alcoholism with someone very close to me. And their extended family also had alcoholism. So I've seen the danger and the harm it causes, and I'm not advocating for drunkenness. In fact, I believe it's unbiblical, so I just don't support it moral standpoint and a spiritual standpoint. Now, for any of you who (laughs) get easily offended, which hopefully if you're listening to this radio station, you are not the kind to get easily offended. But FYI, we can believe in different things without it being an attack on the other's beliefs. So if you personally see no problem with drunkenness, by all means, just be safe and like, you know, don't drink and drive and sorry to be vulgar, but use a freaking condom so you can at least still plan your family. <laughs> like alcohol causes us to make so many bad decisions. So I think that's probably why it's un- unbiblical because it inhibits our ability to make sound judgment and sound decisions. But I digress. Moral compass aside the fact is if let's see how do I want to put this This, okay so the fact that the prohibition even happened should tell us how long people have not known their rights and liberties for hint it's 2023 so it's been well over a century now And I want to point out some other things. The fact that it says legal freedom. That means, you guys, that we have been... Okay, if if you're implying things like I am in this post, or inferencing, I should say. If you're inferencing things from this statement, you're going to realize that we have been unknowingly opted into the public domain for well over a century if we have to deal with having a legal freedom to consume alcohol. Now, I'm not a a purist where I, or traditionalist, where I don't drink any alcohol. I'm cool with, you know, a little something here or there. So I'm not against alcohol in in and of itself. I am very much pro-choice when it comes to whether or not someone wants to consume alcohol, how much they consume, et cetera, et cetera, because it is not the government's job to take care of us, our responsibility to take care of us. 
if you know what happens when you drink alcohol, you need to take action to make changes or seek help. There are programs that can help. And that's the other thing that we also got into in this legal guidelines book is the government intervening in welfare and all these different programs made it so that these private and religious organizations that were already in existence to help no longer could because the government was doing it. And they were getting funding to do it. These others had to actively seek out funding and donations, and they basically became obsolete. So we need to stop letting the government be our babysitter or our adopted parent. If you're an adult, you need to realize, (laughs) this is a hard truth, but you need to realize it's time to grow up and be responsible for yourself. And I think this is why I was never meant to be a liberal. (laughs) Because I believe in self-responsibility. Yeah, we all can get knocked down and we, we do need to ask for help. But from our peers, from our community, those who know and should love us, or at least those who are willing to care enough to help someone in need. Because I can guarantee we've all needed to ask for help we were too stubborn to or whether we did reach out but it is not the government and by extension the entire taxpayers responsibility to take care of someone in need whether it's a real need or a self-imposed laziness based need I'm not even addressing that but it's not the government's job so we need to stop putting it in their hands So now let's merge all of this together. We know that the prohibition was unlawful because it had it impacted our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That statement is in the Declaration of Independence. They declared our independence. They declared that we have a right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And if you remember from, I believe it was last week's, or no, two weeks ago show, we talked about the difference between a right versus a privilege. A privilege can be taken away. A right cannot be. A right cannot be uh, regulated or, um, yeah, a right cannot be regulated or taken away. So we have the Declaration of Independence. We also have in our Constitution the 10th Amendment. And the 10th Amendment says, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the reserved to the states respectively or to the people. What that's saying is that any rights that we did not explicitly and specifically give to the federal government, our states retained. And if we did not give them to our states, we retained. We the people retained. Now, I'm not going to go through every single state constitution. That would take me all week. I would literally have to take all week just to find the equivalent in each state's constitution. So I'm from Wisconsin. I pulled from the Wisconsin state constitution. So we're building a case here, right? 
We have the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We have the Tenth Amendment, where we the people retain. And Section 1, Article 1 of the Wisconsin State Constitution says this. All people are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted, instituted deriving their just powers from the consent of the government governed, meaning they got their permission to do what they do from us. Your state constitution has an equivalent. And if you want to look it up to get an example, Wisconsin state constitution all of Article One is basically the equivalent of the U.S. Bill of Rights. And actually, Wisconsin does a pretty dang good job at laying it out. In some cases, they lay it out better than the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. They make it sometimes more clear, easier to understand, all these different things. So, if you want to look up Wisconsin's first as something to sort of cross-reference with your own state, please do that. But find in your state constitution where it recognizes everyone's life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and securing their rights. It's there. So as we live out our work and our lives, we need to go back and remember that mandates and statutes and regulations, policies and orders, none of these things are the law them, themselves. And honestly, they're not even a reflection of the law if they're not constitutional. We, we really need to remember that if a law is repugnant to the Constitution, it is null and void, and that is based on the Supremacy Clause. If it is not constitutional, you don't have to do it. I'm not saying that's going to come easy. In fact, it's not. We have been involuntarily, unknowingly opted into this public domain for so long that the people in place today, elected and hired officials, none of them seem to know this. And I'm not giving them a full... Um, out here. I'm not letting them completely off the hook because if they're in that office seat it is their responsibility to know their job description. Yes. But we can't trust the government to teach itself how to function. It is our job to teach it and to teach the people in it their positions. We need to take some time and start having conversations with these people. Then we need to start having these conversations. Chris Ann Hall has an amazing DVD called um, The Sheriff. It's her non-compliant movie number two. And it is a great conversation starter to talk to your county sheriff. The sheriff, him or herself, not deputies. I mean, the deputies, yes, should know this too, but they get their directives from the sheriff. The sheriff is really 
top dog in your county and in your life when it comes to enforcing um, or upholding and defending your constitutional rights. That person is the sheriff. And if you've not seen Chris Ann Hall's non-compliant movies, particularly the second one called The Sheriff, please do that. Like, I think you can just go to noncompliant.com or something like that. Let me, I have the disc disc right here, so. Um, Yeah, literally noncompliantmovie.com. And both films should be there to viewed for free online. We have these rights, and it is our job to take them back. We don't have to wait for our lawmakers to recognize our rights for us to enjoy them. It is our job to make sure they know that we know (laughs) what they're supposed to be doing and not doing. But we should not be waiting, sitting on our thumbs, until the day that they voluntarily recognize our rights. We have to take them back. All right, so we went a little bit over on the last seg- on the first segment. I'm going to stop now to do our second commercial break, and then when we come back, we're going to tie in another piece of this. So stay tuned. We'll talk in a minute. Hello, Freedomizers. I am Broccoli Man. When I am not fighting crime, I listen to the Proof Negative radio show. I am the Wire Ripper. Not only do I forbid you to listen to Freedomizer Radio and the Proof Negative Radio Show, I am going to demand you wear a mask and get your naked body scan. We need to protect the One World Government. You getting the real information hurts a crime syndicate. Do not listen to Proof Negative. You must now disrobe this instant so I can check your person for a constitutional cash money. Anyway, listen to Proof Negative on Freedomizer Radio. Weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Freedomizerradio.com Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty Lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific Time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. We talk a lot about the kingdom here, and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same. And we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints. 
but they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And join us on Facebook. Facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the Word. You know what I think you should do? I think you should join us for Dynamic Word Bible Studies, where I am always hosting. My name is Felicia DeRozier, and I have two amazing co-hosts. Cross, the favorite. You wish. This is Mariah, the real favorite child. <laughs> oh, sure. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time learning about the Bible and possibly a little time learning about humility. That would be awesome, right? Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. We air live every Wednesday from 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time to 10:30. Uh, right now, we're going through the Book of Romans, but we're going to start moving into the Gospel of John. We're going to learn about Jesus. We're going to learn about living and walking in the Spirit, and learning to be a little humble with those that we live with. It's going to be a great time. I can't wait for you to join us. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. All right, from watered down history and the intentional omission of facts, especially important facts and principles, to agenda driven opinions, our kids' public domain education is not giving our kids what they need to enter the real world and be critically thinking, problem solving, non history repeating adults. That's where Tuttle Twins come in. They have an entire collection that's always growing for kids of all ages. And honestly, us adults who want to go back and relearn what we should have learned from the start. And I will tell you, they, along with Brave Books, have been having a ton of truly amazing holiday deals. So now is definitely the time to invest in a collection of their books and their resources. You can go to TuttleTwins.com. Tuttle is T-U-T-T-L-E. Twins. T-W-I-N-S dot com backslash ref, like refer, R-E-F, backslash living with freedom. One more time, that's TuttleTwins dot com backslash R-E-F backslash living with freedom. And I want to share one more resource that has been truly life-saving for me. I am on week, gosh, I don't even know. I think I took a couple weeks off because of Thanksgiving in here, but um, I'm on like week four or five of using Green Chef um, food delivery service. (laughs) I don't even know what to call it because it's so awesome. And I'm really seriously impressed. I have enjoyed every single meal so far, and I'm not a super picky person out there, but I, I do have my own ta- you know, my own tastes and interests, but I have loved everything. And I love that each week I get to pick from like 40 different meal options. I can also pick um, categories like keto or Mediterranean or gluten-free or any combination of these. And best of all, in my opinion, is they use seasonal organic produce and pr- um, premium proteins. And... If they're not able to source enough, they'll put a little note in your in your box 
saying that like this tomato was conventionally grown. So they'll let you know if something that they packed ended up not being like a clean ingredient kind of thing. Um, I also love that they're super fresh. These meals are already portioned out. All you have to do is prep it and make it. They include all of the sauces, all of the seasonings, the meat, the vegetable, um, or or the you know the side. They're just really well portioned. I love everything about them. Um, you can get a great deal with this discount code, and you can add several meals on your first box. So it ends up being like something like eight meals for the price of like three or something crazy like that. I don't even remember, but because I hate math. <laughs> I just know if I went out to a restaurant to get this kind of food, I would be paying this amount for practically every single meal. So anyways, you can go to bit.ly backslash LWF hyphen green chef. All right. I'm back to our regularly, regularly scheduled program. <clears throat> okay. So if you're just tuning in, we first started with the word of the day, and we were building on the idea of what is constitutional, what is constitutional law, and also what's lawful. We covered a little bit about the difference between lawful and legal, um, and I think we have a little time, so we will dig into that as well. But first, I do want to touch on something. Let me take a quick sip of water. I'm sorry. It's winter here now, and it's already dry, <laughs> which is not a good sign for me <laughs> with the rest of, you know, the four or five months we have of winter in Wisconsin. When we're talking about lawful and legal, I also feel like because challenges are becoming more and more prevalent, and when I say challenges, I mean challenges from the government or their unlawful three- and four-letter agencies. These challenges, we need to be very thoughtful about how we interact. First, we need to remember and recognize that we are not just a person. A person can also be a corporation. Now, I'm also not getting into status correction stuff, whether you know about or are interested in state, you know, American national um, sovereign citizen, just sovereigns. There, there's so many different flavors. I call them all status correction because they all have similarities. So I'm not getting into status correction stuff when I say that it is important to declare yourself as a man or woman, not just a person. Because a man or woman has certain inherent and inalienable rights that a, quote, person that like a corporation does not have a corporation i.e. A, a, a quote person in the eyes of the law has privileges that may be taken away but a man or woman alienable god-given rights that cannot be taken away or regulated or taxed so when you face these challenges make sure that they're addressing you in your proper capacity If you have a PMA or a ministry and the local government or a local agency or the health department or whatever is trying to challenge you, 
saying that you have to comply with X, Y, Z. First and foremost, you, you really should be, and this is not legal advice, this is education. You can, you know, verify it for yourself by studying like the how to win in court with a lawyer course. But you first need to do a notice and demand that they acknowledge and address you in the proper capacity. What does that mean? You're giving them notice that they are addressing you in the wrong capacity. If you have a PMA or a ministry, you are the trustee of your ministry. And thus, your um, interaction with the PMA and its activities are as a trustee, not as a private man or woman. And this kind of goes back to the multiple hats doctrine. If you're not familiar with the multiple hats doctrine, it basically says that we all wear multiple hats in life and often overlapping like at the same time. My example is a person may be a parent, a child, a sibling, a coworker, a friend, all at once. You are all of these things. Now, the way you function in a particular moment may change. When you're at home for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, you're probably wearing your daughter hat, your father hat, your sister hat, right? Or maybe if you do Friendsgiving, you're wearing your friend's hat. But what you're, the hat that you're not wearing is your coworker hat, Right? Or any other hats that um, if, you, if you're a volunteer somewhere, but you're with your friends for Friendsgiving, you're not wearing your volunteer hat, right? So you need to know that if they're addressing you as Mr. or Miss, you know, Jane Doe, if, you're, if they're addressing you as Mrs. Jane Doe, but you, the, the issue at hand is involving you in your capacity as a trustee, They've misaddressed you, and thus they have not given proper communication. And so I want to share the definition of the word communication first, and then we're going to come back to this idea of the Flahats Doctrine and proper communication. Black's Law Dictionary defines communication as information given, the sharing of knowledge by one with another, Conference, consultation, or bargaining preparatory to making a contract. It also means intercourse, not not that kind. Intercourse means between. So it also means connection. It means act of or system of transmitting information. A communication is ordinarily considered to be a deliberate interchange of thoughts or opinions between two or more persons as distinguished from res geste, gestae, that's Latin, I don't know how to say it, expressions which are spontaneous or instinctively provoked or made while under such shock or excitement as to preclude the possibility of design. That means basically without intention. So communication is meant to be intentional from a and deliberately intentional 
between two or more persons or parties, I might say. So if they want to have, they, as in the government or these agencies, if they want to have deliberate interchange of thoughts or opinions, capacity. Now, I want you to know, you have no obligation to tell them how you should be addressed as a trustee of your PMA or as a minister of your ministry slash church. You have no obligation to help them. If they have an issue with you, it is actually their responsibility to prove that they have an issue that needs to be dealt with. That's how the law works. When you're dealing with court, and you will learn this on, in the How to Win in Court with on a Lawyer course, you will learn that as the respondent, the person responding to allegations, it is not your job to really actually defend yourself. It is your job to point back to the plaintiff, the person with the complaint, and basically say, where is your proof? Show me your proof. I'm overly summarizing, you know, I'm generalizing here, but that is the point. So when we do this, we correct their error. If they address us as Mrs. Jane Doe, but they should be addressing us as, I don't know, um, Guiding and directing trustee of XYZ ministry. I don't know. I'm just making something up. Of course, and I forgot to move the phone far away, too. <laughs> That's going to ring two or three times. My apologies. Um, I'm going to mute this for just a moment. And then as I went to click on a commercial or play a commercial during the silence, it stopped. So I didn't want to waste our time. <laughs> All right. So. If you want to be regarded in your in your PMA as, um, you know, exact whatever director, whatever I said, whatever director um, or directing trustee of X Y Z PMA, it is not your obligation to tell them how you want to be addressed. That is for them to figure out and hint. If you're doing things correctly in the private domain, they should never be able to figure out how to properly address you because it's not in their jurisdiction to find it out. So just just an idea. If you want to really throw them for a loop, correct the error of how you're supposed to be addressed and put with that correction a cease and desist that when and until they have corrected their error, any action against you can be seen as retaliation against a witness of a potential or actual crime, you're putting them on notice. You're putting the ball back in their court. If they're the ones that think something's going wrong, come on, show me what's going on. But first you've got to address me in the right capacity because I'm not, as Mrs. Jane Doe, you know, I have no responsibility or no um, connection with these private activities. 
So you need to address, address me in the capacity in which I do have a connection. And when they don't do that then, after and you give them the standard in common law is 30 days plus a couple days for mailing. All of this should always be mailed via registered mail. And any communications you send should also be notarized. And you also always want to have at least three additional copies for yourself, original copies, signed and notarized for you to keep for yourself should you ever need to use it as evidence. So if you need to send this to the two people who came to your door and tried to do, you know, tried to say you need to comply with something, you make five copies, two to go to each of them, and then three to keep for yourself. So anyways, you need to first, like, correct their error in how they're communicating. And give them 30 days. You got to put a time limit on it. So you got to give them 30 days to correct that error. If they have not managed to correct that error in that time, then you do a default notice. And basically, a default notice says, "Hey, just FYI, you made this claim over here, and I responded by saying you needed to correct your error. You didn't respond to that, and so your silence." And your acquiescence means you consent, means you agree to these corrections because you haven't said otherwise. And because no proper communication has actually occurred, I'm giving you an additional 30 days notice now on the actual issue that this is, um, you know, th there's no case here basically is what you're saying. Um I have the words written down in a notice, but <laughs> you're basically then telling them they've not been even, you know, they've not even been able to properly address you, and thus there is no case here, really. Um, and putting them on notice that latches has occurred, L-A-C-H-E-S, not latch as in the door. Um, and then you notarize and sign that and send that out to the same people. Something else you want to do is you always want to include the sheriff. Whether or not your sheriff is on, on your side, you always need to be including the sheriff because they actually can do something about it. Or the law can kind of force their hand to do something about it. And if they don't, they can be in trouble for not upholding and defending the law by which they are you know, sworn to uphold. So you see, we actually have a lot of checks and balances already in place that protect us, but we missed this information for so long that it feels so helpless, or it can whenever we face a challenge. It's really easy to give in and hand over our power, our rights, and our liberties when we don't know the proper course on dealing with it. I'm not a quote, legal professional. Am I studying law? Am I learning firsthand how to uphold and defend the law? Even if it's against the people who are actually elected to uphold and, uphold and defend the law themselves? Yes. 
because I believe that's part of my God-given purpose. I was born with this rebel with a cause spirit for a reason, and it's to hold people accountable to truth with a capital T. Find what you're convicted about, whether it's law, whether it's your, you know, kids' education, show up to board meetings, get elected on the school board. And one of the best ways you can do that is just start brushing elbows with the parents who are going to be voting for those school board members. Make connections. It may not always be easy, especially if you're the odd red duck in a sea of blue. But we all are humans. We all have shared interests, whether it's the education of our kids or the fact that we both love um, Pizza Hut's pizza. And we can have a parents' night at Pizza Hut once a month, whatever, right? We can find ways to create connection where it seems like there is none. And you can get the votes. But then you need to take the responsibility of knowing what our constitutions say, knowing what our God-given rights are, and making the changes that need to be made to protect them. And if you're not willing to, and I'm not pointing fingers because my life is so chaotic with my personal situation that I'm not on the school board. I don't show up to to the school board meetings because it conflicts with my schedule. And it's unfortunate. I have trusted people who do go, but I'm actually not even a voting, like in the voting district for my son's school. So it's a little complicated for me. I'm actually a homeschool advocate, and better yet, I'm an advocate for opting our kids out of the public education system entirely, even through homeschooling, so that we're not under their jurisdiction anymore. But I recognize that my own personal situation is such that I can't get my child out of that system, and so I still advocate for fighting for that system to be better to fixing it the best we can. It will never be perfect. But we can still fight for the kids that don't have a choice but to be in there. They are not a lost cause. They deserve to be given the best education that we can give them, even if that's in the public domain. We can fight for them to still learn truth. I've been talking to my son a lot more about even the Bible and what God says and what God wants and how to pray and how to be faithful. And this weekend he came down with a cold and he literally asked if we could pray and ask God for healing and all this different stuff. And as he kept feeling, kept feeling cruddy, he also was having a lot of big, sad emotions, missing you know, missing different things, being sad about other things. And he also prayed about those feelings too. He asked me to pray for those things. They are receptive when we speak truth to them. They can feel it inside because they have not been stripped down of their inner knowing. So I feel like we need to give kids a lot more credit 
yes, they're resilient, but they shouldn't always have to be. We need to be strong for them. We need to stand up and stand firm for them. So when we're thinking about lawfully communicating, when we're thinking about upholding and defending our rights and our liberties, posterity should be most important. And posterity means like for generations to come. It's not just about us. It's about what legacy we leave for our children and what state we leave things in for our children. So that's That's the homework I want to leave you with. What is your conviction and your passion? And the second part to that is, what are you going to do about it? What can you do this week to do something about it? It doesn't have to be something ginormous. It doesn't mean having to quit your job and and go into the mission field. You know, it doesn't have to be that extreme. Now, if that is your calling and you've been debating that, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying maybe your calling, maybe your next step is not that big. Maybe all your next step is to do or is about is to do one tiny thing. Do a little five-minute web search on on the thing you're convicted about and learn more about it. And I'm going to challenge you, if you feel convicted to just learn a little bit more about something, when you learn and understand it and you have that aha moment, even if it's something tiny, share it. So it's a three-part thing. What are you convicted about? What can you do about it, or at least to learn more about it? And then tell at least one other person about it. Because we know that one stone in the water can create a ripple effect and if we all are doing that one thing all at the same time we are making a big difference because we're making a wave then we're not just making a ripple we're making a wave so let's all start to throw our stone in because a harvard study showed that only three percent of a population needs to take action to make change. So if we are that 3%, but we sit and do nothing but paint on our stone, use the stone as a book um, bookend, use it as a paperweight, we're not throwing our stone and we're not making a ripple effect. I'm going to invite you guys, in addition to this one thing that you can do this week, I want you to really consider gifting yourself the gift of education this year for Christmas. And if it means asking people, hey, please don't buy me any gifts, but can you please consider gifting me with money that's going to go toward something to help me learn more? to help me be a better version of myself, to help me take better action. And that thing is to take that how to win in court without a lawyer course. Or if that's a little financially out of your budget, take the Liberty First Society course with Chris Ann Hall. There's no affiliate with that one. I make 
I, I have no benefit to having you take that course except to spread truth and to help you learn truth with a capital T and how to look at things from that truth perspective rather than the manipulated lens that we're fed lies through on on the news. So do your homework, please. Consider taking one of those two courses and take one action step toward your conviction this week. If you're on Facebook, please visit Freedomizer Radio website um, or not website page on Facebook. And there's a post I put up just before our call today. I invite you to share the thing that you're convicted about and the thing that you're going to take action on or the thing that you're going to do to take action. So I want you to go to our Facebook page and share those two things. And if you're also open to it, I want you to share if you've already started or plan to start one of those two courses. Who knows, if we get a lot of people all starting at the same time, let's start a study group. We can study and discuss this stuff together. I would be happy to host something like that. But I want to make sure that there's enough people who are interested and committed to doing this. So go to the Facebook Freedomizer radio page and, you know, share that stuff. Let me know what you're convicted about. And let me know if you've started or plan to start taking either of those courses. This has been episode 21 of the Living with Freedom show. I'm your host, Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries. And I thank you so much for tuning in today. We unpacked a lot of pretty heavy stuff. So if you were able to follow along and stay with me, kudos to you. Like bonus points, brownie points, all the good things. And schedule this show in your calendar every Tuesday from 2 to 3.30 Central Time, noon to 1.30 Pacific. Now, quick next week on December 11th at 2 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. Mountain Time, we have a special guest, my friend and ministry member, Joshua Muck of Safe Haven Homestead, will be joining us. And I asked him to pick out the holiday of the day for next week, um, particularly if one stuck out to him and resonates with him. So I can't wait to have him on the show to share a bit of what living a life of freedom means to him um, with you guys. So I can't wait to share that with you. And I can't wait to share with you what he picked for the holiday of the day. It'll be really a fun show. So have a great day and have a beautiful week. Like this homework I'm giving you, have fun with it. This does not have to be anything like, boring or too serious or anything so we'll catch you next week with joshua muck and we'll see you soon
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.